This is a West Gippsland Week podcast. We're joined again by Dr Jared McKenna to tell us uh, about what's happening in space. Um, and Jared, one of the things that uh, we happen to notice together, that uh, there's a proposal for obtaining solar energy from space. Yes, it's a pretty science fiction, pretty space age uh, approach to solving the climate crisis. Um, but yeah, a couple of a couple of countries are are picking up this idea of harnessing the energy made in space and then bringing that down on Earth. So it's um, picked up by China and the UK mainly. Those are the the two um, sort of front runners in in, in this this idea. Um, and essentially what they both want to do in slightly sort of different ways um, is to build a, a solar farm um, very similar to what we have on Earth, um, but this time in space. So a solar farm in space wouldn't be affected by the things like cloud cover and, and bird pooing on your on your panels and um, obviously the light day cycle in space because there is no light day cycle in space. So in theory, the solar panels would work 24 hours a day, nonstop, producing energy constantly. And that idea is then to take all that energy and beam it, beam it down to Earth, so that we can use it um, throughout throughout the day, at night. They work all 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 day, all night, sending us energy. Um, that's the theory. Uh, whether it will work or not is uh, still yet to be seen. So yeah, we wait eagerly to see how it's going to go. Yes, I guess uh, it would be hard for us to imagine a, a cable sort of hanging from uh, sort of miles up in space and um, coming down to Earth. So how does the theory, at least, of the energy being transmitted uh, work? Uh, yeah, I just can't, can't get my head around that, really. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a weird one to sort of think about, yeah. It's... Um I mean, this, the space station is sitting 200 miles or about 350-ish kilometres above the Earth, so that's a pretty long cable um, to send energy from space down to a power station on Earth. So the way that it would work um, is essentially the panels would work identically to how they work on Earth, so they take that solar energy and convert it into electrical energy, um, and normally on Earth, that gets sent to a power station and then shipped out down power lines to houses and buildings and things like that. So we don't have the luxury of those cables, so we need to do another conversion of that energy. So it goes from solar to electricity, and then what they're going to do is convert that electrical energy into, into microwaves, and then they're going to beam that towards Earth, towards a power station, like a collection facility um, that all sort of capture all of those microwaves being sent from space and then they're going to convert it back again into electricity and then it will go to power stations and to homes and buildings and things like that so it's quite a complex process with a few hurdles to to overcome you can potentially see some issues there um converting energy four times is definitely going to be tricky to do and tricky to be efficient with because even on Earth, moving electricity around, we, we lose a lot of it in, in our cables. So even going from a panel that's on your roof to um, the sockets in your house, you're going to be losing energy. So losing energy um, is a big problem, and we're converting it many times in space and then sending it 300 kilometers to Earth um, and converting it again and then to your house. Um, so in theory, that could work. It's just a matter of how efficient um, it can be. Uh, I'm guessing that the first thing that pops into my mind is 
Uh, we're, we're dealing with microwaves. It'll be the same basic idea as we use in microwave ovens. So I guess uh, that that also converts the energy or, or, or delivers the energy into the food. Um, but that immediately brings up the thought of uh, if, if a bird flies through the, the wave or something, does, does it get zapped? I guess that's one of the issues they need to work out. That's definitely one of the problems. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of things that could be in the way. That could be a bird. That could be a cloud. That could be um, an asteroid. You know, a whole bunch of stuff is floating around in space, and um, a lot of things can get in the way and sort of absorb some of that energy. And we need as much as we can um, reaching the the power stations on Earth um, that we can. So, yeah, interference by things like birds flying in the way and clouds and and things like that is definitely... um, one of the uh, major problems, I would say. Um, but there's probably two others as, as well that I could think of um, in getting this off the ground, I guess, um, is that solar panels at the moment are pretty big and pretty expensive. Um, so getting them to space would be very expensive and consume a lot, a lot of time and energy and money and fuel getting them up to the space station in the first place. So... Um, to put that into perspective as to actually how much money that would be, um, SpaceX, which is kind of one of those front-runner um, renewable rocket science or, or space travel companies out there, um, charges about $3,000 US per kilo of payload to, to go into space. So a single um, solar panel that's sort of sitting on your roof, the common ones that are that are sort of around, um, weigh about 20 kilos. So that's $60,000 for one panel to get to space. That's a lot of money. Um, and they're probably going to need tens, if not hundreds, over time to, you know, be as efficient and create as much energy as they want. So that's, you can sort of see um, how the prices can easily get out of hand pretty, pretty quickly. I mean, um, we're talking, you know, millions and millions of dollars to set up just, you know, maybe 50 panels um, in space. So could that be done better on in, on Earth? And um, is the trade-off, you know, of doing it in space and having that constant energy versus um, having less constant energy on Earth but being a lot cheaper and a lot less effort to build them? Um, again, that's one of those things that people are trying to work out. It's probably pretty tricky to do. Again, thankfully, I'm not doing it. Um, but yeah, it looks very expensive at this stage. Um, but again, this is the wor- this is the way that science is. It's always expensive at first. You know, solar panels are getting a lot smaller, a lot cheaper, a lot lighter. Um, so over time, it's probably going to get a lot cheaper and a lot easier to do. But right now, it's uh, it's quite financially stressful, I think, for a lot of a lot of companies. And the other one is that. Um, on Earth, they're relatively easy to build. It's it's quite a um, s- relatively streamlined process um, to build these solar farms. Um, and the power stations that we're looking to build in space are, again, China and the UK are thinking about it a little bit differently. But generally, they're they're um, the way that they build things in space is quite modular. We say so. Think of IKEA. You know, you get it's a flat pack. Everything's a flat pack. You've got everything in 20 bits and you've got to put it all painstakingly together. It's exactly how they do things in space. That's how the space station was built. Um, Very expensive, very hard to do. Um, And it would 
be need to that the solar farm in space would need to be built in the same way. So if you can imagine how much difficulty you go through building a cabinet from IKEA, um, now imagine having to do that in space. Um, so it's a lot harder again, um, and going to have to use things like um, like robots, um, new tech to come in and help us do that a bit safer, more effectively, and more efficiently. So. Again, it's, it can be very expensive and it can be very hard to set up. So, yeah, a couple of hurdles for them to get over. And uh, I guess one of the reasons that it would need to be such a distance out in space is that it would need to be in that that um, mysterious geostationary uh, area so that it, it's not moving around. It wouldn't be sort of switching on and switching off again. Um, so that, that that's why it has to be that distance out into space. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's, it ideally will need to be, like you said, geostationary over um, a couple of points um, in Earth that have those power stations so that it can beam to them constantly 24 hours a day. Um, because well, there's no good, you know, not having it geostationary because then you're just going to have half the day where that you're not going to be able to beam that energy down to Earth. And now we've just made a more expensive solar farm in space <laughs> compared to Earth. So. Yeah, it needs to be sitting at the right place, at the right height, at the right time um, to make it as efficient as we can. So pretty clearly, uh, we shouldn't be at all concerned in this area that uh, we're going to have our power stations replaced by space satellites anytime within, <laughs> anytime yeah, I, soon. I don't think they... you need to be worried. <laughs> Quite so. <laughs> yeah, However, not yet at least, not yet. However, it is an interesting proposition. This is a West Gippsland Week podcast. Yeah, something you didn't really think we would need to or want to research. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of the things that they are doing up in the International Space Station. They've got a um, very, very um, broad and pretty intensive research um, unit up there. So the astronauts have to do a whole bunch of stuff outside of their normal maintenance and measuring um, things that are going on in space. They need to do a whole bunch more things like figure out how plants are growing. And we know that plants are really useful on Earth and they're just as useful as they are in the space station. So um, the two main roles, really, of the plants there would be, one, to filter the air like they do on Earth. Um, um, so there's less need um, to have these really expensive and intensive filters, air filters on the space station, which cost a lot of money and they take up a lot of space. Maybe it's easier. We could just have some plants there. And the second thing is to obviously provide food and nutrients for us on Earth, and they can provide food and nutrients for the astronauts too. Um, so currently the astronauts get sent up when they go to the sp space station with a lot of um, freeze-dried and preserved meals. So they're very thin little packets of food, very energy-dense. Um, I imagine they taste pretty disgusting, but they are very nutritionally dense. Um and they often, depending on how long people are up there for, they often have to have things like resupply missions. So they have to send a rocket up there with food and water and and things like that to, to keep the astronauts going. So, again, we've got this system where we're spending more time in space and further out in space um, that we need to sort of keep us going and keep it keep us alive. So um, with that, we, we sort of need to have more sustainable ways to keep people in space and keep them... Um, fit and healthy and one of the ways is to sort of grow fruit and veg in space instead of shipping it to them is that is it looking like things like um i guess uh, do the plants respond to the fact that there's no uh, zero gravity to not know which direction to grow in or um is it purely based on are they responding to light or are they finding any of these things out yet 
They definitely are. And yeah, one of the first things was how do plants grow in space with little to no gravity? How do the roots know which direction to grow? Because, you know, on Earth, the roots grow down towards gravity and the plant grows up towards light. How do they know which is up and which is down when when there's no gravity and when you're floating around in space? That was one of the big questions that they had to answer. And um, thankfully, it's quite a simple answer. because they found out pretty early on that even in microgravity or with no gravity, um, plants will um, grow out of whatever soil sort of substance they're in. They will grow towards light. So that could be completely sideways. It could be upside down. Um, The plants will grow towards light. So gravity doesn't really have as much influence as we thought it did. It just so happened that that's the way that the roots grew and that's the, the direction that the light was coming from. Um, so they've already found out that they, they grow pretty easily um, and pretty well um, in microgravity already. And they've got a system on there um, called Veggie, um, which the vegetable production system um, or the space garden, I think, is what they sort of colloquially call it. Um, and they've grown a whole bunch of things already. So they've grown lettuces, cabbage, um, kale and mustard, I believe, and, and even a couple of flowers. So... Apparently, the veggies taste pretty good. Um, they take about a month or so to get a cabbage, I'm not, uh, a lettuce, sorry. I'm not sure how long it takes to get a lettuce on Earth, but about a month and a bit on, on the space station. Um, so the signs are good. We, we can do this. Um, it is a little bit trickier than on Earth, of course, um, because of the way that water sort of behaves in space. It doesn't behave the same way as it does on Earth, so... If you were to grow plants in a normal plant pot in soil, something that you probably didn't think would happen is that the water can actually hold on to the roots. Um, it'll grab onto them and um, something called surface tension. So really, surf- water will stick to either itself or something nearby. So effectively, the plants can actually drown um, if they're in a traditional you know, pot and soil that you would have in your backyard. So we actually can't grow them in that way. Um, so the, what they do is have these sort of weird pillow-like structures that have a mix of um, mixture of the nutrients and water um, in a very specific um, concentration and, and, and volume that the plants aren't affected by that too much water. They're not going to drown, or there's, um, if there's too little water, then the plants won't suffocate in the, in the other sort of extreme. So... They figured that out reasonably reasonably early on. And, yeah, they got lettuces and they got cabbages and things like that. So they're doing pretty well. <laughs> so I, I guess my immediate thought was, oh, they'll be setting it up in some kind of hydroponic kind of system. But it's not even – that's not even that simple. It's, that's not even that simple, yeah, because, again, of the way that the water would behave in, in, in space, those plants would likely drown. Um, which is crazy to think, you know, uh, very often, you know, a lot of plants on space, you get things like root rot because you've watered them too much. Um, that would happen very, very quickly to a lot of plants um, in space because of that fact that how that water behaves in space. So, and so that's sort of their space garden that they maintain themselves. You know, they go in there each day, give it a, a check over, you know, make sure the light's okay and give them like, you know, um, pruning some of the leaves and it's it's sort of just like gardening and it's a sort of a nice thing to do for them which they all say they really find relaxing which is quite cool you know living in the space station i am sure is quite a stressful job you know you're pretty busy a lot of the time so finding an outlet like that doing a little bit of gardening might be pretty nice 
They've also got on there like a um, an automated version of that space garden, so that's trying to do it a bit more efficiently and trying to work out those very very finicky little things like um, how how much light, how bright how bright does the light need to be, how um, intense does it need to be, how much water and you know milliliters is the most effective way, you know things like that. So there's one side where the the garden has been maintained by the people. And then the other side is the garden's been maintained by essentially technology um, to try and tease apart some of those little differences that might that make things a little bit, a um, little bit easier to do, a little bit quicker, a little bit cheaper. And one of the other things actually they've they've been looking at very recently is um, whether or not plants that grow in space um, need to have or need to produce something called lignin. Um, which is essentially plant bones or plant structure. It keeps them um, strong and upright and helps them grow against gravity. It keeps them growing towards the sun. Um, but like we said before, you know, there is no gravity. So there's really nothing. They don't re really need to produce lig lignin. They don't need to be robust and strong because they just sort of float around and grow towards whatever direction the light's coming from. Um, and so it's lignin's great to keep the plant really strong, but it's also quite hard to digest for people and quite hard to break down in things like compost bins. So um, in terms of digestibility for humans, can we make plants in space that don't have lignin? That's one, making it more nutritious um, and two, making it easier to break down so we've got less waste. Um, so that's another sort of direction that they're going in to, again, make it better for us and then cheaper to use and then cheaper to recycle. So um, watch this space, I think, is definitely something to say about the uh, the space um, plant growing scene. Okay, Jared, as always, fascinating, and um, we'll uh, probably end up doing a part two on some of the other nature-based uh, experiments that are going on up there that we had no idea was going on. <laughs> Absolutely. Plenty more to talk about, so happy to happy to chat about the other stuff too.